0: Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. We're back with another Michigan basketball insider, Sam Webb, and the man, former Michigan basketball standout, and NBA first-round draft pick, and now doing it on the commentator side of things as... A as an analyst for the Detroit Pistons, Fox Sports Detroit, and obviously college basketball, the ESPN, and doing an unbelievable job of breaking it down for us here on the Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast. Tim McCormick, welcome to another week. Hey, Sam.
1: Uh, really, really looking forward to talking some Michigan hoops today. And, you know, I was, um, I was listening to my serious radio, 80s on 8, right after the Ohio State, game on sunday and and i heard paula abdul one step forward two steps back <laughs> it just <laughs> made me laugh and think about the the, the game in the last two weeks so we'll, we'll we'll see i five in a row everything looked great i was extremely optimistic about michigan their chances in the big 10 tournament and the ncaa i thought they had really figured some things out and then wisconsin and ohio state two losses in a row not quite as optimistic and uh, you know, the, the thing I want to talk about today is that you may remember Juwan has a couple of catchphrases. He talks mindset a lot, but one of the other ones is, you probably heard this, he uses the term, we're a solution-based program. And, and, and I, I think that's important at this time, to, to figure out the problem and devise a solution. So here are the problems. Erratic three-point shooting, erratic three-point defense, limited post play. And, 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 I, and I think those are, are going to come up a few times on our podcast today.
0: Yeah, and, you know, recurring theme in both of these games, uh, just what had been a strength uh, this season for this team is, you know, guarding the three-point line. And in this in these last two games, that strength uh, didn't manifest uh, as both both Wisconsin and Ohio State shot threes at an impressive clip know uh, that was a big factor in, in, in both games. We'll start off with Wisconsin. And obviously in this uh, you know in this game, Tim, you know the the absence of Eli Brooks looms so large and as often as the case and this was you know kind of in the conversation where it's you and I or whoever we're, we're talking Michigan basketball with you, you talk about Eli Brooks, you talk about what he is on offense and what can he do on offense and where how has he improved on offense? But his his biggest impact, you know, I'd argue comes on the defensive end of the floor. And boy, was that evident in this game against Wisconsin as, you know, it it was it was a struggle for Michigan with their big lineup, uh, you know, kind of keeping keeping Wisconsin in check.
1: You're right, Sam. and, And sometimes you don't appreciate a guy enough until he's not there. Uh, today's perimeter-oriented game is so based on on guard play. And I remember broadcasting a game uh, for UConn, and Jim Calhoun told me that his goal is to always have two point guards on the court. They make everything easier. They're fast on defense. Pick and roll defense is so important in today's game, and they make everybody else a better player. And so it it goes back to this. Now, we've been so complimentary of Juwan this year, right? We we talk about all the, the brilliant moves he made, they did the, 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 you know the posty against Trevion Williams at Purdue was great. spot on. And the way that their pick and roll coverage evolved against Michigan State. But I, I have to say I think that it was a, a mistake of Michigan to go with a big lineup versus Wisconsin. It, it just didn't work out. And looking back on it, look I'm not I'm not blaming anybody because I can see you know why why you would want to go big. Um, those are the best players that Michigan has. However, covering the swing offense, and you can go back to Bo Ryan's days, it's really hard to cover guards with forwards w- with their back cuts and their side cuts and all the, the screens. And and when you look at Michigan's lineup, Franz is he's playing two at 6'9. And and Livers is playing three, and he can do that, but he's probably more of a natural four. And Brandon Johns is a good a- athlete, but that offense is hard for a big power forward to cover. I think DeJulius should have started and played 30-plus minutes and, and given him a chance to play on and off the ball. I, I think that, that's their best line. And I and I listened to Juwan say that that he believed that that fatigue and fouls were a real concern. But Xavier plays big minutes every game anyway and i think with two point guards michigan could have covered wisconsin much better and and they wouldn't have given up nearly 80 points at home that's just it's not good enough
0: yeah you know i, I think he in and listening to him after the game he he was it, it was definitely the cautious approach thinking that he had to have a ball handler uh, in reserve that he had to he had to play the guard the foul guard against fatigue if not for xavier simpson it, it, for, you know for the additional uh, minutes load on Dave to Julius and I you know for me less about fatigue and more about more about foul management. but clearly, clearly a smaller lineup uh, is is better or would have been better defensively against them. but it was it was uh, six and one half dozen the other. I think he was like pick your poison and I think he thought that it was a bigger risk uh, you know, having one of those guys having one of his his ball handlers not be available. Versus what wound up being a weakness, he thought maybe they'd do a bit, a little bit better job uh, with the with the bigger guys and the athleticism. Obviously, it was a wrong calculation in this particular instance.
1: I, I um I I do think it was a miscalculation, and and I also think and look, I, I want to be sensitive about you know injuries. I, I um I broke my nose. I played with a mask. I know I know it's a challenge. Um, <clears throat> but but just like when. Isaiah livers was held back against Rutgers because they thought they could win without him. And it was a calculated gamble and, and it turned out to work in their favor. If, if Eli Brooks could go and remember a broken nose is, is a non weight bearing injury, right? You're, you're not going to aggravate it and you're, you're, you're not going to make it worse unless you get a fluke elbow or something. Um, I was at their practice on Wednesday night and I watched, I watched Eli, his energy was great. He didn't practice, but he was going through shooting drills and doing some running and and I thought, you know, he's good enough to play and if um if Michigan basketball's philosophy is to, you know, to when a guy's ready, make sure he has a chance to have a full practice, then that's conceptual and I'm not going to argue with that, but it just seemed a little bit overly cautious. And so I I I when I saw him not practicing, I thought, okay, he's probably not going to play, and that's going to cause a real problem because Michigan is not going to be able to cover their screen game.
0: Yeah, you know, they the, the way at least the explanation they gave was that it, it wasn't the it, it wasn't the resetting of the nose after the break. They said he developed a sinus infection that. Uh, You know, that was bad that led to, you know, led to some, you know, some congestion problems in his head, led to some some headaches, had to get it cleared up with the with some antibiotics. Uh, And and that was the reason wasn't necessarily the the, the break as much as it was the, you know, the, you know, whatever it was, whatever, you know, he picked up after the break that kind of led to the congestion in his head. And they cleared it up with medication after that. At least that's what they said. Uh, After the fact that that was the issue as opposed to the break itself.
1: Okay. I'm glad you cleared that up. Um, Once again, I'm not, I'm not questioning anybody's toughness or anybody's philosophy. I just think that, that if if someone can go and they're not in danger of re injuring something, then they should go. But um, that, that makes sense. Maybe he was in a lot of pain.
0: Yeah. So you, you get in the game and we talked about, I I talked about it in the lead in, Uh, you know, on one end, they have a problem uh you know staying staying in front of uh, or getting a hand in front of three point shooters and michael potter has been a revelation for them my goodness mm, yes. has he been has he been a lights out performer for them but between you know his his performance off the bench and demetric trice really getting on fire out the gate uh you know especially from three point range he was 5 for 6 and then on the other end you know, for Michigan, Tim, it was it was more about not getting three point looks. Uh, they didn't shoot a lot of threes because those looks weren't given. Wisconsin made a decision: if you can beat us off the dribble, fine, we'll live with that. But we are not going to leave shooters. That led to a career night getting to the rim for for uh, for Xavier Simpson. Uh, but they did not get enough three point opportunities to to match all the threes that Wisconsin was able to get on the other end.
1: Well, I, um, I, I think you bring up an interesting point. It's about covering the three point line and it's about executing your offense so you can knock down threes. So I, I, um, I remember back when my son Callen was probably eight or nine years old and it was Christmas time and he wanted a bike. And, and so I put it together for him and I, I'm not real detail oriented, so I just started grabbing parts and putting them together. and you've got kids too you know how that ends mm-hmm. up. you know at the end I had three or four extra pieces and the, the wheel wouldn't go right and, and and so I didn't I didn't follow the fundamentals. I didn't follow the instructions. Michigan did not follow the instructions against Wisconsin and I didn't think they did a great job against Ohio State too. let me let me put it this way. When I was at practice on Wednesday, I knew that covering pick and roll was going to be really important. And Michigan spent probably 25 almost 30 minutes on pick and roll defense. And and they did a lot of, of screen defense called ice. Ice means that you keep the pick and roll down towards the baseline. Mm-hmm. You don't let it get to the other end of the, or the other side of the court. And Michigan was tight. Their guys were yelling. I was at the other end, and I could hear them like they were right next to me. Very enthusiastic, very, very detail-oriented. And then when the game started, all of a sudden, they didn't ice. The, the, the ball screens were very effective. They were causing switches. There were back cuts. And what happens is when your pick-and-roll defense breaks down, then guys are scrambling, and they're leaving shooters open. Michigan against Ohio State and Wisconsin was outscored by 36 points from three. That's, that's like putting the bike together without really following the instructions. You're going to make mistakes. At the other end, how do you get threes? You execute your offense. You make crisp cuts. You throw hard passes. You, you, know, you follow your offense, and you do it to the best of your ability. And there were just times that I thought the offense was a little bit stagnant. I thought that the, the pick-and-roll defense was not crisp and, and decisive. And that's why they lost two in a row. So you know, follow the instructions, and then everything is going to work.
0: Yeah, they, uh, they they talked about the lack of communication. Uh, lack of communication on switches. Obviously, uh, their ball screen defense was blown up a bit. And then you, just, the, you know, at, at, as dialed in as we've seen them be defensively at times, you're going to make mistakes. There are going to be times where – uh, where maybe, as we said, you aren't as dialed in collectively. But some of the individual mistakes that that we would see, hey man, if if if, if things are blown up, uh, you know assignments are missed, uh, and you got a decision to make, you know make make a mistake allowing a guy to go to the basket as opposed to letting him shoot a three. There was one time where you know there was a you know there was a, a a situation where i think it was Micah potter was on the perimeter and there was a there was a basket cut off of michael potter and both guys went with the cutter and i'm like look mm-hmm. you know in, in this instance you know if you're going to make a mistake let a guy shoot a two versus the 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 big 10 leader in three point shooting right now and michael potter get a clean look from three that was just to me an example of of a team just not being doubted. And it, it's it's interesting that you bring up practice not carrying over to to the game that to me it it explains what I saw in the game even beyond the strict you know the the game plan part of it that was fouled up you even had just you know individual breakdowns that in the moment hey okay our, our our defensive plan is blown up here what do I do well if I'm gonna make a mistake this guy he might get by me but he's not gonna get an open three instead that guy got an open three and that happened a number of times on the day
1: Agreed. Agreed. And there were there were a lot of teaching points uh, that that I thought should have been cleared up for Ohio State. But when you go on the road, it, it gets really difficult. You know, one other thing that I wanted to talk about, Sam, is um, first of all, it's, it's about coaching. So Wisconsin. Th- they're they're really good. They're really good. And when you when you think about the fact that when you watch a team early in the year, you get a. You get a, an image in your mind of who they are and what they do, and then they lost Kobe King, one of their best athletes and playmakers, and and they've actually gotten better. They're, they're very solid the four and the five. Greg Gard has made the swing offense his own. Um, so I I, I definitely wanted to 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 say it. I admire the way they play D- Dimitri Trice is is really improved. So kudos to Wisconsin. I think they're gonna have a really good march. They're gonna have a really good Big Ten tournament. I think they can advance to the Sweet 16 and beyond. I, I really like what they did. Um can, can I also share a comment about Jawan Howard? Um, yeah, and it's based on we we don't always get access to you know how they how they run their system in practice and I jotted down three things that I really liked about the Michigan practice last Wednesday. The the first one was Cole badge him up was running along the baseline and he dove to save a ball. It kind of reminded me. Remember the play where Bobby Orr scored the winning goal and he dove through the air. Like he was (laughs) he was completely airborne. I know I probably distanced myself from a lot of our younger audience members, but like imagine just running as fast as you can and diving midair. And and he um he hit the floor hard and he grabbed the ball and 15 players and 10 managers all ran over and they were jumping on him and simultaneously celebrating. It was just such a it was such a cool thing. And that's a sign of a team that likes everyone. Um, the, the second thing is during free throws, I watched very carefully because Juwan walked around the court in counterclockwise and he stopped and talked to each player. Um, you know, sometimes he had some cool handshakes with a couple of the guys and he patted some on the back and he had some teaching points that I thought were really good, but he he touched every single player, which I thought was really cool. And then the the last thing is um, they were talking about pick and roll defense, and he asked Xavier Simpson. Then he asked uh, Isaiah Livers, "How do you think we're running this right now? What did you see from these last few plays?" And he empowered those guys, and it was really, really a special moment. He's, he's, he's got a great connection point with his guys.
0: Yeah, you know, it was a, uh, it was a career night for for Xavier Simpson. Uh, you know, he had 32, and that was with some missed layups. You know, Michigan missed some. And they missed some point blank shots where the ball rolled off the rim in this game. Not to say that that was the difference. I mean, they lost this game on defense more than anything. But there are some some bunnies, some chippies they missed, and yet he still had 32 points in this game uh, to lead the way for for Michigan. Again, they made the decision: if you can beat us off the dribble, we'll live with that. Uh, but we won't live with open threes. And so it was really Xavier Simpson getting to the rim. Franz Wagner did a good job of getting to the rim. I'm curious because, uh, you know, another issue for Michigan that showed up in the Ohio State game as well, as it was an off night for for Isaiah Livers, Uh, Tim. And I'm curious if you, you know, what you've seen these last couple of games when you watched them. Again, against Wisconsin, it wasn't three-point. Shooting as much because they didn't allow a lot of a lot of threes. He was one for two from three point range, but he was three for ten overall. And those 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 struggles carried over in the next game. I'm curious if you were able to pinpoint anything as you watched him. uh You know, do, does it look like he's laboring? Any is it just a matter of being out of sync, out of rhythm? What do you see when you watch Isaiah? So I
1: um. I, I have an analogy that, that I think is very similar. When, when I was playing for the Houston Rockets, I had had a knee surgery, and I was out for about six weeks. It's you know, about the same time that, that we saw Isaiah Livers laboring through his, his groin injury. And I remember when I came back, I, I was so ultra-focused and so excited, and I had been working on my conditioning, and, and I played really well as well as I could play for three straight games and everybody was really excited about it. And I couldn't sustain it. Like I, I was, I was, I was energized by being back on the court and everything was new and fresh and exciting. And, and it looks to me like, like the the, the energy level in Isaiah's game has dipped a bit. He's not, he's not laser focused with his cuts. He's not running quite as hard. His, his energy level can improve and and i think it's human nature it's it's very hard to, to 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 keep your you know to keep your energy level on top all the time you can tell yourself you're ready to go but sometimes you're just not as ready as you need to be so i anticipate that he's he's going to bounce back quickly i'm sure they showed some film clips of, of some things where he gave good effort but not great effort and that's the difference between winning and losing sometimes
0: gotcha well a guy who gives the same effort no matter what tim every time out you know what you're going to get from austin davis you're going to get toughness you're going to get physicality you're going to get maximum effort every time he's on the floor and again you know we've we've marvelled this year at at just what an impact guy he has become off the bench cuz so as i said in a in a prior podcast that you know for for the first few years of his career they they basically treated him played him Used him as five fouls, uh, you know that was how his contribution was really defined, and this has been this has been a metamorphosis of sorts, just a a blossoming, a guy coming out of a, a of a shell of a cocoon. Uh, most of that is him. Obviously, you give uh, either the focus on the post and Jawan Howard some of uh, you know some of the credit here, but this is really a guy in Austin Davis staying dialed in, staying engaged staying ready for the opportunity once it finally came.
1: You're right Sam, five fouls, but most of the time it was zero fouls because he never <laughs> cut off the bench. Right. Um he, he he is he is really a fine example of perseverance. And and it really looked like throughout his career he was just he was never going to get a chance to be a, a more than a, a role player and he is more than a role player right now. I think that there are a lot of times that Michigan is better when he's on the court as their starting center, not their starting center, but their key center, their, their, their primary focus in the paint. He's been a better player than John Teske in a lot of situations. Teske's a better defensive player, but, but I just, I I think that, you know, all of these four for four and three for three games with five or six rebounds, and he's a very good communicator on defense. uh, I just, I just, I just give him a lot of credit because it's not easy to come to work every day when when you know that your your role is nothing more than you know a, a third string center that that works hard in practice but will never get the accolades and the pat on the back and just the chance to show what you can do, um, it, it's been a very very real success story.
0: Yeah, and I know it's uh, a a a you know one that is very sort of personally fulfilling for you as a guy that's worked with Austin over the years. So uh, something that'll come through is in this week's sit down. Tim McCormick with Michigan Center, Austin Davis.
1: And we've known each other since your freshman year in high school. And we met at the Michigan Elite 25. um, And I just, I've had a huge smile on my face all year long. Thank you very much for joining us, Austin.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: So when we met at the Michigan Elite 25, also known as E25, uh, what was that experience like for you?
2: Uh, I mean, it was incredible. You know, uh, coming from a small small town, I hadn't really... uh, you know been exposed to that kind of that level of basketball yet and getting to go to there go there and uh, you know play against some of the best players in Michigan was tremendous um, I mean going up against bigs like you know Seth Meyer and uh, excuse me Luke Meyer and Seth Dugan um, you know that that first year was, was tremendous and uh, you know I really loved how it was uh, you know not just about basketball there um, you know really you guys instilled you know being good young men you know taught us a lot of life lessons there and I, I really loved that it wasn't just about basketball.
1: So I, I remember talking to you and your father when you were going through the recruiting process. John Beeline had some specific things he wanted to see out of you and possible suggestions uh, before he would give you a scholarship. What, what were some of those?
2: Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, coming out of high school, uh, I, I, was, I did not run very hard. You know, that was just, um, you know, that was a, a big one with him. You know, we worked on that a lot uh, my first year here with Coach Sanderson. Uh, he helped me tremendously with that. Um, and then, you know, getting out of my comfort zone. You know, Coach B's system, uh, you know, stretched the floor a little bit more and, uh, you know, incorporated some things that I might not have been uh, as comfortable with at the time. So it was definitely a learning experience.
1: Tell me a John Beeline story. Something that, that you know, he um, he taught you something or he made it hard on you. I know that there's a story that you want to share.
2: So, so it, it kind of goes in line with the, that running thing that, that we talked about a little bit. Um, you know, he would always say, uh, you know, because when i was younger i weighed a lot in eighth grade i was like six three, two eighty or so uh, you know i was a big left tackle um and then then you know i grew and lost some weight but uh he he knew that you know uh you know, going through the recruiting process and getting to know each other, I, I told him about that. And uh, if I if I had a day or something that I wasn't running great, you know, he would uh, he'd always say, you know, you gotta you gotta run like you gotta take that seventy pound backpack off. You can't you, you you know you used to have to run with that big old backpack on. Now now it's off. Now you got to run like an athlete. So that was this. You know, that was probably one that I remember the most.
1: So you don't appear that that your system or your your style of play really fits John Beelines. You know, he's more skilled perimeter and and but you play exactly like Juan Howard wants you to play. It seemed like a great fit. Um what what have you learned from Juan? What are some of the things that he's helped you emerge as a big 10 presence?
2: No, absolutely. I mean, uh, it was very tough in Coach B's system. Um, you know, just getting comfortable and, and learning that that cuz that really wasn't a part of my game then. Um, you know, I loved playing for him, but that was that was definitely tough. Um, so, you know, so the transition to Coach Howard's system's been been really great. Uh you know, he's, he's instilled a ton of confidence in us, you know, from top to bottom on the roster. He's, he's always encouraging us, supporting us and, you know, not only on the basketball court, but in life and school and everything. Um, so for, for myself personally, you know, that confidence has, has been key. Um, and then, you know, just, he, he works with us every single day, you know, he's down on the court during practice with that pad when we're going through big man drills, you know, he's banging on us, he's hitting us. And then he's making corrections on the fly. You know, if we have a post move, we don't do right or something like that, you know, he's right there and he's fixing it. And it's, it's, it's just amazing.
1: I listen to his press conferences and his post game interviews. I've never heard him say anything negative. Is he like that in practice or does he, does he get on, get into you guys a little bit more than maybe what we would guess from the outside?
2: No, I mean there, there's definitely times that uh, you know he, he'll, he'll get on someone. You know you have to. Um, you can't let you can't let things slide. You know you have a standard and you have to you know hold everybody to it. Um, you know, but in general, you know you you kiss make up and uh, not literally, but you, you know you'll uh you know you make up and you learn from it and you know that's move on and he's very supportive uh, after it and during it.
1: Someone asked me why is Austin emerging now? How how did he get so good? I would imagine that going head to head with Colin Castleton and John Teske every day has to be really a big important part of your development.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and Jaron Falls too, you know, he's, he's a scout team guy, you know, they don't get enough credit. They come out and, you know, they bust their chops every day in practice and, you know, go at us full blow and they, they really make us better. But uh, no, I think all the bigs have, uh, have definitely, uh, you know, improved a lot this year, um, you know, from From going at each other, you know, I I think we played tremendously hard, especially in practice, going at each other. And uh, then, you know, all of us have learned a great deal from Coach as well.
1: In the Big Ten or anywhere, toughest big guy you've had to face?
2: Toughest big guy. I mean, that's a great question. There have been a lot of them. I mean, uh, I guess in terms of maybe post moves and stuff, um, that'd probably be either Travion from uh, Purdue or Caleb from, uh, you know, Ohio State Um, in terms of just pure – body, uh Isaac Haas last year. Um I was able to, you know, get in and play against him a little bit in the Big Ten tournament and that that was a big strong dude.
1: So you've got some decisions to make after this year, right? You know, you um you've got one more year of eligibility and you're doing well in school. Uh you could come back and be an integral part and maybe compete for a starting job here or you could grad transfer and you know, who knows? You, you could play at, at, you know, in the ACC or the SEC or wherever you want. How do you go about making a decision like that?
2: Um, you know, I, I think it'll it'll be a tough decision. Um, you know, we'll get there when the time comes. Um, I love Michigan, and, uh, you know, right now I'm just focusing on, you know, making this the best season with my teammates and enjoying it.
1: You're a big hunter, big fisherman. What, what do you hunt for?
2: Uh, I you know I love to hunt you know white tailed deer uh, turkey squirrels and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my little brother is a you know my favorite hunting buddy, you know so we uh, we go out to the family farm and do that stuff quite a bit. Um, you know he he's more the reason I got into fishing. Uh, you know he's he's a bigger fisherman than I am, but you know he's pulled me into that, so it's uh, it's been great. Do you have a
1: a certain point trophy buck to your credit?
2: Um. I haven't killed anything huge um you know I, I've killed a couple you know really big bodied deer but nothing nothing huge in the antler department
1: what about a do you have a large bass or what kind of fish do you like to catch
2: um you know I I, I love to catch panfish honestly like you know the smaller bluegill stuff like that you know I just I like quantity over quality in that, in that aspect I like a little more action <laughs>
1: uh, so you are you grew up in Onstead where, where's Onstead I know it's a small town I've actually been there but tell everybody where you're from and what it's like there
2: um, it's in the Irish Hills of Michigan. Uh, it's about uh, 45 minutes to an hour uh, southwest of Ann Arbor here. Um, about five minutes from uh, the the racetrack and uh, MIS in Brooklyn. Um, you know, it's just a small country town. Um, you know, not a very big school. Uh, love Onstead schools. Mom's the principal, uh, elementary principal there. So you know, we're very. Uh, my family's very tied into the community, um, and it's it's really a great place to grow up. I think. Uh, you know. Being such a small, close-knit town, uh, you know everybody. Everybody there has had has a hand has had a hand in one way or another in uh, you know molding me and shaping me into the person that I've become.
1: So, where in the world did you get enough competition to become a Big Ten player from Onstead?
2: Um, you know, I I think that you know the LCAA is a good league. You know, it's very physical. Um, you know, you might not get a lot of uh, you know, necessarily high high level college basketball players out of it, but uh, you know, it's a tough league. And then uh, you know, playing with the Mustangs um in AAU um, for a couple years really exposed me to uh, you know that that side of basketball as well so that was a tremendous experience.
1: So in terms of of post-career what what is your degree and what do you want to do professionally?
2: Um, So I'll get my bachelor's degree uh, after this semester in uh, movement science so um, hopefully uh, eventually I would like to go to physical therapy school and become a physical therapist
1: so what what is movement sciences focus on is that like kinesiology and yeah. things like that
2: yeah yeah it's it's in the kinesiology department um you know it's a, a lot of you know the movement of the body how um you know how outside forces shape it how they affect it you know stuff like that
1: all right good uh, i've got some fast break questions for you all right so we're gonna we're gonna go quick kind of varied topics who's your favorite teammate at michigan not not necessarily now but anytime over your four years who's your favorite
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've played with a lot of great guys and uh, you know, this might uh you know cut some hairs, but uh honestly Duncan Robinson I think was probably my favorite teammate. You know, I still still talk to him once in a while. Um, you know, he's just a great guy, always supportive, always uh you know, always had a great attitude.
1: Favorite place on campus? It could be a restaurant, it can be a building, a place where you have classes. What is your favorite place in Ann Arbor?
2: Um, probably Benny's uh Benny's Diner over there you know we go we go for team breakfast once in a while and it's you know it's probably just you know a place that uh, you know if I'm if I don't have a anything to do you know I might go grab a meal there
1: you're in the elite eight tie score you need a teammate to knock down a jump shot who's the guy you want to shoot it
2: uh you know I have I have confidence in all my teammates I think any of them would you could go up there and, and hit it but uh if I had to choose one. You know, I'd probably say Dave. You know, Dave's that junkyard dog. You know, he's not afraid of anything, and I think he would definitely go up there and hit it.
1: Toughest venue in the Big Ten. Where would you say?
2: Um, I would either say uh, Breslin or uh, Purdue's uh, Mac- Mackey Arena. I agree with Mackey Arena,
1: for sure. Uh, I-, I watched you at practice today, and Cole Badjima made a mistake on his defensive pick-and-roll coverage, and you grabbed him and you pulled him aside. Uh, are, are you going to be a coach someday or do you, do you take that mentoring role really serious? What, what did I see out there?
2: Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if I'll be a coach, you know, maybe a little bit here and there. Um, but uh, I, I don't think that's something I necessarily want to pursue. Um, you know, I think it was just more, uh, you know, the, the freshmen, you know, they're, they're coming in, they've done a great job. You know, they've, they've him and Franz have done a great job adapting and uh, you know, coming from high school, it's a really big change, but uh, I think they've both done a great job coming in and learning. Um, you know, but it's your first year of college basketball. You're going to get make mistakes. You're going to, you know, maybe have some difficulty uh, um, understanding something or learning a new concept. And uh, I think it's just, you know, it's really the older guys in the team's job um, to step in and, you know, kind of help them out a little bit with it.
1: I read that your nickname is Custard. What in the world is that? Where did it come from? Does anybody call you that?
2: Nobody here calls me that, uh, other than, jo- uh, you know, joking around once in a while. Um I I guess it came from someone on Twitter. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, The first time I saw it, my my dad actually sent me a tweet um, in a group chat with my my high school coach, and they they were giving me crap for it. But, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure where it came from.
1: (laughs) Have you surprised yourself this year at how well you've done, how consistent your field goal percentage, your performance? Because it's easy to lose your confidence over the course of a career if you're not playing. Have you been surprised
2: at all? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, definitely. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's been a, well above my expectations. You know, I I knew coming into this year, uh, I was just going to cut, you know, it was one of my last years. I knew I was going to come in and, you know, just do the best I could get the most out of it. Um, you know, and then when we had the change, just, uh, you know, help everybody get through it and, uh, you know, make it through the best I could. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's definitely been a, a great surprise.
1: Football fan.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Who um who are some of your boys? Some of the, some of the guys in the team that, that you know have classes with or friends with anybody?
2: Um, I mean, I, I don't have a ton of classes with the football guys. Um, you know, they're all great guys, and you know, we'll hang out a little bit. But uh, yeah.
1: Final question: What has the University of Michigan experience been for you? Has it lived up to your expectations? What is it like for you to be a Wolverine?
2: I mean, it's 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 incredible. You know, I I am so glad that you know. Four years ago, I made the decision to come here. I guess it'd be five now, but, you know, I made the decision to come here. Um, you know, it's an, it's an incredible university. I've learned so much from, uh, you know, the, the academic staff, on coaches, every, athletically, ever, just on really all aspects. It, it encompasses everything. It's an amazing university. Um, you know, it really, really forces you to grow up and, uh, you know, shapes you and, uh, you know, makes you into a better person. So I'm very glad I came here.
1: Austin, very proud of you. Thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Sam Webb here, back on the Michigan Basketball Insider with Tim McCormick. And, Tim, another great chat. It it got me to thinking, and you mentioned this before the interview with Austin, you said in many situations that Austin has been, uh, you know, the better center for for Michigan. He is, to me, unquestionably Michigan's best low post threat, best low post scorer. You gave awesome analysis a couple of weeks ago where you – talked about John Teske as an angle scorer and time and time again uh, you know as we've watched him play since then that's stuck out in my mind and you could see it before that as he tries tries to score over people that it is he 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 winds up off balance guys get into his body knock him off balance you know his balls wind up being short it's just not a high percentage shot for him. And so I'm I'm raising this topic again because I was one, admittedly, that for a long time said, you know what, you gotta be belligerent with John Teske in the post. You gotta give him the ball, you gotta feed him, you gotta you gotta explore that more and more. Well, they've done it to the point now, Tim, and I wonder if you agree, where you know what that is. Like you, you, you kinda see what that is and what that isn't, and, and and maybe that's you know, maybe that's ice skating uphill to try to continue to do that, uh, even to as much as they, they've done it to this point. And rather than do that, wh- what he's good at, you know, obviously pick and roll offense, and he still, and whether it's a short roll, a pick and pop, that is, you know, 15 to 18 footer, that is a lane that he he really seems comfortable in versus this going to him on the block. I, I, just, I just wonder if that's an exercise in futility versus when Austin Davis comes in using him, you know, focusing on your, your post offense on when he's in the game.
1: A lot there to process, right? Um, uh, so, so John Teske deserves a lot of credit uh, over the course of his career. You know, he, 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 for, for a long part of his, his, um, his last two years with John Beeline was a featured weapon. And, and as a finesse center, he thrived in John Beeline system. Uh, the, the other side of the coin is Austin Davis did not fit at all the, the finesse mindset of John Beeline. Now, Juwan Howard comes in, and he wants more physicality out of his post. And Austin Davis fits exactly what Juwan Howard is looking for. John Teske does not. He's, he's, um, he's lost his confidence. Um, with his three-point shooting, I would tell him, Mid-20s, you, you, you know, you're, we don't need you to shoot threes right now. Let, let other guys shoot threes that that have earned the right. And it kind of reminds me of Dwayne Casey allowing Andre Drummond to shoot threes last year. You, you know, he's in there banging, he's rebounding, he's defending. You know, throw the dog a bone every once in a while. You know, he, you know, let, let him shoot some threes. But after a while, if you miss threes, then you don't get to shoot them anymore. Also in the low post. We've seen John Teske be successful. He needs to get back to what he's good at, and that's misdirection. When you catch it in a low post, fight for low position, your low foot on the block, attack the middle. Two hard dribbles make the defense cut you off, and then you come back and you shoot that little jump look. And that's where you get the angle. You know, he's not very good at just dribbling in and shooting over a contested hand. But he's very good if he dribbles hard and then comes back and gets that angle. That's what I would recommend for for John Teske. And remember, he's still an excellent defender, Mm -hmm. and and he is capable of double digits. So I would see what what he's doing. If he's on, then you go to him. And if not, say, John, just keep doing what you're doing on the defensive end. Because if you're not scoring, if you're feeling a little sorry for yourself, what happens? You play 25 minutes and you grab one rebound like he did against Ohio State. That that's not going to work.
0: Yeah, it's not. And and yet again, there there are things that you you know are in his wallet that maybe maybe will give him some some confidence. So maybe maybe they throw uh, you know some more pick and pop action in there for him because that is something that he's that he's really comfortable with. Uh, you know seemingly when when Austin Davis when Austin Davis gets in the game it's not just the block he's very good on the on the pick and roll that's something that that John Teske's been good at in the past. it just seems like everything has gone the way of his post game so far and hopefully the the things that he already is good at that he doesn't need to establish and find uh, maybe they can accentuate those things a, a little more here. Here down the stretch, because you're right, John Teske's a you know, he's a terrific defender. I, I'll, I'll continue to tout John Teske as a passer. I think he's a plus passer. You know, I think there are a lot of things that he still does well on the offensive end. It's just that the right now, it's it's like crunch time. It's the end of the season. You know, the time for discovery, I, I like to think that you can still discover things at this point in the season, but you know, we're at the point now, Tim, where you know the the sand is almost through the hourglass.
1: Mm-hmm. And and it happens this time for a lot of players where you see the home stretch of your career and you play with a little bit more urgency and a little bit more focus. Um, you know, I I understand that it's it's really hard. You want to you wanna set great screens in the pick and roll game every oh. time you can, <laughs> but you've you've got to avoid yeah. that offensive foul. Yeah. I mean, that's a turnover. Yeah. And 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 so those are the little things. And look, I don't I don't want to go into the footwork on threes again, but and I and I have talked to a couple of Michigan's coaches and they've said they tell Teske, yeah, transition defense is really important, but not for the shooter, especially at three, because he shoots it, he heads back on defense before the ball's even at the rim, and, and his threes hit the front of the rim more than they hit long. And and they, they get a little bit flat with their trajectory. Those are all the things, and and he doesn't do that on his fifteen foot shots, but on the threes he does. So it's it's just it's the little things that make the biggest difference.
0: Right. All right. So moving on to the Ohio State game, and we talked about it as a chance to really exact some def- some revenge. They got Eli Brooks back, albeit a masked Eli Brooks back uh, in this contest. Uh, and again, you know, we look at. We 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 look at the the three point defense in this game. Meanwhile, Michigan got many more opportunities, Tim, uh, but they weren't they weren't efficient outside of uh, Franz Wagner, who who seemed to really and we didn't get into this very much. I felt like against Wisconsin, they really started getting Franz involved offensively later in the game. And you know, I'm a I'm a stickler for riding the hot hand, and he's been playing so well. You know, getting him incorporated in, in the flow earlier to me, I think is a is a real good formula for them. But Franz, he was the you know he was the most consistent guy offensively for them against Ohio State, including from three where he was four for eight. But no one else really shot threes worth the you know worth a lick against uh, against Ohio State. Meanwhile, the Buckeyes were on fire. They shot even better against Michigan than than Wisconsin did. Yeah, the the
1: three for eighteen. Um, from three for everyone not named Franz Wagner. That, that's not going to work. And part of it is Ohio State's really good. There may be a four seed. They've won eight of 10. They are sort of what I envision Michigan being after they won at Purdue. Um, you know, we can blame some injuries, but Ohio State's without Kyle Young and Alfonso Gaffney as well, and they still beat Michigan by 14. Uh, I, I will say this, though. It, it's possible to play a good game and lose Columbus is a tough environment for sure. And I thought Michigan did some good things. Remember they were tied with seven minutes to go. Um, But the problem, and and we've seen this from time to time, they were outscored 23 to nine the rest of the way. And I guess it's really 23 to six because Franz made a worthless three pointer with, with a couple seconds to go. Um, So, so really when the game was on the line, when you've got to play your best ball, Ohio State was able to elevate, and, and Michigan Michigan just took it and said, you know what, we're, we're not, we're not going to bring that resistance.
0: Yeah, there there are a couple of uh, lucky threes in there, a couple of bank shot threes in there mm-hmm. that are, you mm-hmm. know, you you just say you know, the basketball guys are against you on those. But there are others, like, you know, the times where they lost Dwayne Washington on the perimeter, whether it's losing a guy on a switch or going underneath the screen. Again, it just to me was a, another example of, of a team just – not as dialed in as we've seen them be defensively.
1: I, I kept thinking, Mrs. Wesson, went to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> Caleb and Andre are banking threes from straight on. Right. I thought, my word, how do you, how do you stop that? But uh, the, the 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 number we've thrown out a bunch of numbers, like the fact that there was the 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 twenty three to six run and minus thirty six from three against Wisconsin, and Ohio State. Th- those are those are pretty strong numbers, but these are the only numbers that you really need to know. During the five-game winning streak, Michigan gave up 60 points per game. During the last two losses, they gave up 79 points per game. Defense wins, and their defense was not good enough. And and I'll tell you what, I I don't I don't really worry about about N- Nebraska. N- Nebraska is one of the worst Big Ten te- teams I've ever seen, but but going up. Against Maryland and starting the Big Ten tournament, there's a lot of teams that Michigan will lose to if they if they give up 79 points per game.
0: Absolutely. So you know, not to take it for granted. Uh, Thursday going to be an emotional, going to be an emotional night. Senior night. Xavier Simpson and and John Teske, the most games and uh, in Michigan basketball, in Michigan basketball history uh, that they've been a part of. And, and most wins. And, and this is a, you know, this is a, a, a duo that, that came in together, played a lot of basketball, and you throw Austin Davis in that mix. I know there's, uh, you know, some a lot of hope out there in, in the fan base that maybe this isn't it for him, but still celebrating him just in case. This is a, you know, a trio that's been a part of a lot of winning here in Ann Arbor, Tim, and some guys that are doing a really good job, I think, of leading way for the team this year. I am um... –
1: I think that they deserve a great send-off. They're they're true Michigan men. Um, we we heard that when they both joined our podcast. We've had all the seniors on, um, the, the the winningest players in Michigan basketball history. And I, this might be a little bit of a crazy thought. I I um I've talked to some people that said they they know John Beeline's back at his house in Ann Arbor from time to time. I wonder if he'll come for Senior Night. I know he wouldn't want to be part of anything that would take away from the team or Juwan, but, but he's in town. I know how much he loves his seniors. Wouldn't that be a great thing if somehow John Beline could just come sit in the stands and just, you know, take, take it all in. I know that's not his, his, you know, his style because he would, he would feel like he doesn't want to be the show at all, but that would put a huge smile on everybody's face. If somehow he could come in and, and be part of that.
0: I think it would be awesome. I think it would be awesome. I'm actually gonna text him that. <laughs>
1: hey, no, I, I, you know, <laughs> I am exa- just like, hey, man, you should come on out just to see if i he- gonna do that. I'm <laughs> gonna do that too. Let's start. Let let let's start that movement. But um, so one thing that I I I wanted to bring up is that how bad is Nebraska? Yeah. Uh, th- they lost twice to Northwestern, and this will tell you everything that you need to know. In that last game against Northwestern. Eight for thirty free throws. <laughs> that's that's the worst Division One free throw shooting in the last ten years, and and so that's the perfect team to bring in for Senior Night because everybody's going to get a lot of chance to play, and and there's going to be a celebration, and so wow, Nebraska has a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah, they lost fourteen straight. I mean, you know, again, I like I said, you don't you don't ever take. Anytime you step on that floor, for, for granted. But, I mean, just, it would be unbelievable, uh, you know, if they were ever in trouble in this game. So, uh, But that takes us to, to Maryland. Assuming that Michigan takes care of business like we expect them to, this is a Maryland team that will probably be playing, uh, you know, in that game for the Big Ten Championship. Uh, you know, tough place to a tough place to to, to win a game. Michigan did it last year. Uh, you know, late. I think it was you know it was it was in March where Michigan went to College Park and and took one. It took one from the from the Terps and Bruno Fernando at the time. Uh, you know, this is one where the Wolverines are going to be catching Maryland after a game at Rutgers. Uh, and this is a team that's probably feeling it a little bit after getting catching one on the chin against Michigan State at home, lost by double digits at home to uh, to the Spartans. Tim, a team that's really surging. What do you make of uh, of the Terps? Anthony Cowan, Stick Smith. Uh, this is a a team obviously with some talent and with Big Ten regular season title aspirations.
1: Well, I um I I think first of all that they, they will win. A share of the Big Ten title, so that that's that's pretty impressive. Um, I know that that Mark Turgeon is a, a really good coach, and and he's had, had some heat over the years, but um, and, and and I will point out that long ago, beginning of the season, uh, the prediction that that we made was that the Big Ten champ would have five conference losses, and and that's right where they're at. And it wouldn't shock me if the Big Ten champ this year at this point might have six. Um, And I I think that that Maryland is star driven, that Anthony Cowan is an all Big Ten player and Jalen Smith is a lottery pick. Um, Beyond that, I don't love their roster. You know, Wiggins and Marcel, pretty good players. I don't think they have very good depth. If you get into their bench at all because of foul trouble or fatigue, it's a big advantage. Um, Michigan is capable of going in there and winning. And they'll they'll play loose and free. Um, it, it, I think it. I think there's going to be a ton of pressure on Maryland to win that game. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes that can affect the way you play. And so, it's it, it'll be an exciting game. I'm looking forward to that one.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting week for them. I, I know some of their skeptical fans uh, look at you know. Obviously, you 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 want to win both you know a split gets you at least a share of the Big Ten title, so just split them. You got at least a share. But what if you drop both? You you drop both, and you could be left with nothing. You could be left, you know, on the outside looking in as far as the Big Ten regular season title is is concerned. So a big week for them, and obviously you know a big game for Michigan, a chance to kind of swing some momentum heading into the uh, heading into the Big Ten tournament. Uh, Isaiah, you know, Xavier Simpson had a big game down there. Uh, last year uh, in March so we'll see if he if he can repeat that. Uh, Tim, I want to before we get out of this week's podcast, get to the mailbag. It's been a few weeks uh, since we got some, you know, some queries from the you know, from the listeners, from the podcast listeners over on the michiganinsider.com. And so one of the questions uh, that has come forth for you this week, Tim comes from a comes from a, a poster named Woodson One, and he said, "Tim, how does Juwan blend in one and done players with guys who are juniors and seniors, and have pro aspirations? How about top hundred guys that don't get much playing time? You know, how does all of that? How does he not have all of that impact chemistry?"
1: So that's uh, that that's that's an age old question, and and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Juwan doesn't get on the phone and call Coach K and Roy Williams and John Calipari and get some of their advice. I know that that John Calipari really, really endorsed Juwan Howard, and so I think they've got a really good relationship. The, the, the first thought to me is that you play more of an up-tempo, pressing, attacking, defensive style. And the reason you do that is you encourage your guys, I want you to sell out. On the defensive end with full energy, I want you to attack the ball as hard as you can because a couple of things happen with that style of play. If you're really aggressive, foul trouble may be a little bit of an issue, and that frees up minutes for other guys. And also, if you play as hard as you possibly can for a four-minute stretch, you're going to be okay coming out and sitting for a while because you're you're fatigued and, and, and your energy level has to be down a little bit at that point. So I would anticipate that instead of an eight-man rotation right now, that Michigan will probably employ a ten-man rotation next year. Um, also, for those those blue chip guys that come in, they're not going to be satisfied sitting on the bench. And when recruits for the following year come in, they're going to look at how much guys are playing and is this a happy team? It, it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge to get everybody minutes.
0: Yeah, I think it's. One of the important things is you, is you kind of, you know, you, you mix the caliber uh, of guys. You know, very few teams can live in the, you know, three, four, one-and-done types in one class. That's like Kentucky Duke land. Uh, you know, I think what Jawan is doing and will try to continue to do is you sprinkle those guys in with guys that are going to be three- and four-year guys, guys whose – whose maturation, whose projected maturation maybe is a bit longer. Uh, you know, you you feed them some out the gate, but not as much as you feed a guy that's gonna be there when you provided they earn it. So you know, I, I think there's a way to massage it. That's not to say that it's it's gonna be a seamless process to your point, Tim. I mean, you know, feeding all those all those miles, I think will require them to, to maybe change up. Uh, you know, how they play in order to get more guys on the floor more often. So it'll yeah. be – it's a good problem to have, though, put it that way. Let
1: me ask you this. Um, I'm i am going to make a strong comment. Before I do, do you still think Josh Christopher is coming to Michigan?
0: Right now I do, yes. Okay. So
1: I've, I've changed my thinking a little bit. Next year, Josh Christopher, if he comes to Michigan, is your starting point guard.
0: I can see them doing that. I can see them. I can see them making him the facilitator. I think he is a better ball handler, a better initiator of offense than, uh, than, than Eli, and he is used to creating for others uh, as well. I think he can handle it mentally. Uh, not a classic point guard, but, but I think would be of what Michigan has on the roster right now. I can see him being the best option uh, for that role. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Tim. I wouldn't be at all opposed to that. I actually think it's a hell of a good idea.
1: Yeah, and then then you've got you've got Eli as your two or someone else, and and Dave DeJulius I think is versatile enough that he can play whatever you need off the bench. I like his spark. I think that that Dave DeJulius will make a big jump next year as well.
0: Yeah, that can certainly be the hope. And so that that leads us into the the next question. We'll have to make this one the last for the mailbag this week for those of you guys who we missed this week. Uh, we'll get to your mail back questions, some of them next week. Uh, but this next one is a second part from Woodson One. And he says, uh, Tim, knowing what the roster might look like next year, do you feel like Michigan has enough perimeter shooting? A big topic for us on this uh, on this particular podcast.
1: I do. And I I, um, I just I expect that with, um, you know, Franz – and Isaiah Livers, I think they'll be your most reliable three-point shooters. Um, I think that that when, when you go through a season, y- you learn a lot about what you need to work on for the next year. And, and I think that Eli Brooks and Dave DeJulius are, are going to spend a lot of time, and a 1,000 shots per day is a good goal for anybody that wants to become an elite shooter, going from good to great. I think that 1,000 shots per day can take you and and, and make you, instead of a, a 31% three-point shooter, if you bump it up to 36, then all of a sudden you're a major weapon. And I think those guys are capable. Young guys, they don't know what to expect yet, so I'm not going to count on them. But I think that there are enough returning shooters that, that we're going to be able to be, a, be able to field a really good three-point shooting team.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see at the five spots. You mentioned young players, so you don't really know. I do think that Hunter Dickinson is a better shooter than, than John Teske. That's not to say that he'll be able to execute it as a freshman, uh, but I, I think that he has he has better range, uh, and we'll have to see how Colin Castleton uh, really develops. That was a strong suit of his, or at least a stronger suit of his coming in, than it was for, for John Teske coming in. So will that be a part of his game uh, that he can really develop and hone more uh, in this offseason? can Michigan get a little more shooting from that spot? Time will tell on that as well. But I agree with you, Tim. Another year of, of Isaiah Livers, uh, Franz Wagner will hit the ground running next year, and he seems to be rounding in the form. I think they'll have more perimeter shooting on next year's team for sure than they have on this year's.
1: Yes. And and Sam, I, um, I, I want to thank you again for all of your hard work on the podcast. It's been so much fun. And one week from now, we've got a lot to break down. We're going to you know, review the season, but we're going to preview our all Big Ten team. And we're also going to talk about the Big Ten tournament. So uh, we've got a lot of stuff to focus on this week.
0: Absolutely. All right, Tim, has been fun as always. Until next week, thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast.